Hashtag never alone with Joe and Mark. Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone episode 18. I am Joe Ambridge. And I'm co-host Mark Fielding and I'm also a psychotherapist and relationship counsellor. And today's episode we focus on trauma. Um, now I got this from Beyond Blue. Um, trauma touches out. Sorry, start again. Um, tra- trauma touches our lives in many different ways: a serious accident, a physical assault, war, a natural disaster, sexual assault, or abuse. It might affect you or those you love. These events can be traumatic as they cause a threat to your safety and/or the safety of others. Um, and trauma can affect how you feel and think and your physical well-being. Uh, this might include strong feelings of fear, sadness, guilt, anger, or grief. It can be difficult to think clearly, concentrate, or remember details. It might also be difficult to come to terms with what has happened and how it has changed your life, making it difficult to cope with everyday stresses. Uh, your sleep, appetite, and social um, social habits can also be affected after experiencing trauma. And often people that have experienced trauma sometime in their lives their threat systems can get turned up uh, and trauma survivors can experience hypervigilance, which makes them really, really vigilant and, you know, very acutely aware of possible threats in the environment, which can be pretty overwhelming for them. Yeah, um, and it links in quite a lot to a lot of, it can be the cause of a lot of the other topics we've covered in like previous episodes, like PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, suicide um and even stuff like postnatal uh, depression um uh, one thing i wanted to ask before we introduce our guests is i kind of you know what you're saying about threat level does that link into that whole fight or flight situation thing you know you have that fight or flight in, instinct when something happens because you expect the worst yeah i mean it's yeah i mean people often have you know hypervigilance after trauma and i i guess they you know consciously or you know unconsciously or combination of both they just see the external world as potentially you know holding a lot of threat and so you know their their kind of internal world is 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 looking for threat and prepared to react against possible threat you know which is a you know survival mechanism but for some trauma survivors it can become really really overwhelming making normal life quite difficult so it does kind of feed into being on fight or flight a lot yeah um and i'd like to now introduce our guest annette bensham is, is that right oh your mic's muted by the way yeah <laughs> you got it spot on um, yeah and annette is going to um she has her own lived experience with trauma um just like would you like to share your story with us just as much as you're comfortable with in terms yeah, of sure. relation to trauma uh, it's interesting listening to you talk about trauma i was speaking to someone the other day and she said you know we we, we often minimize trauma like and, and compare it to other people's and she said if we just think of trauma like a wound you know some people their wounds always open while others they close and and i i think about my journey through life and and i, and I often felt that you know, like as I look back now as a 50-year-old, that my life was in constant chaos and trauma uh, from people that I had no control of, right, right from, you know, being born and, you know, it was born in the 70s, 
my father left when I was three. You know, back then there wasn't a pension or, you know, government payments and life was really hard. And, you know, I look, look back and I think, you know, th there was so much anger and fear from my mother that, you know, as I grew into a teenager and a young adult, I realised how much that had impacted my life and my choices. So I just rolled on from one relationship to the next where it was just either looking to replace someone in my life and they were the worst possible relationships ever. Um, I think the, the moment that, that sticks with me the most is when I left home at 16 and moved in with this boy, um, you know, thinking I was in love and he was amazing. And, um, but he wasn't. He was a horrible, destructive, terrible person who separated me from all my friends and, and treated me really badly. It took me a long time to get over that. And it was like, I think even until my, my early 20s, and some of the choices that I was making in my life, you know, drinking, you know, sex with people that I didn't know, um, drugs, you know, this really wild, crazy expression of being a human that when it, something really significant happened in my life and I didn't get the job that I had been dreaming of doing since I was a kid and I just broke down and spent six months in my bedroom and I wouldn't leave the house. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't eat. You know, I smoked lots of drugs. I watched lots of Star Trek. So that's probably the only bonus. Um, but it, it was, yeah, it was a really hard time. And, and I, I, I'm really so grateful to the work I did on myself that I've never gone back to that moment again because it was probably one of the most horrible times in my life because I realised that where I was was not just the choices I was making for myself but all the choices people had made about life before I had the choice to make a choice, if that makes sense. You know, realising that I was making all of these silly, horrible, life-threatening decisions because I'd never dealt with all of those moments through my childhood. So, yeah, it was... I think about that, those six months and just how lonely and terrifying they were, not really knowing where, it, you know, if anybody cared. Because I certainly didn't care. I mean, those those six months at the time, what did you think was was going on when you just you just completely shut down? Uh, look, I don't think I thought much about it at all. No. I mean, it, 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 I was just numbing the pain. You know, I would wake up, smoke lots of drugs. You know, go back yeah. to bed. Um, you know, anybody like my, I kept my door shut. I just think I thought nothing because mm. if I thought nothing, then nothing could could get to me because I was hiding, not realizing that I was slowly wasting away. And and it wasn't until a very good friend um, forced me to go to the doctor 
he said, you need to talk to somebody. And it's like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, vomiting in his car because I was just so anxious about being outside that it, that changed. I was, I was so grateful to him for saying, no, nah, I'm not, not letting you stay in this room anymore. You need to talk to somebody. We're getting a little bit of background noise. Can you hear that, Joe? Yeah, a little bit. Does it sound like a human? Yeah, it sounds like someone talking. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's I think it's okay, but yeah, I, don't, I wanted to. And the substance use, you know, I mean, it's really common with trauma, isn't it? With it, and you know, and the substance can be, I mean, almost a million things. You know, people can use anything really, can't they? To try and you know, to kind of, you know, self medicate. I mean, looking back, do you think it was that that was what was going on for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'd gone from, you know, like maybe having an occasional drink or maybe having an occasional smoke with friends in a social situation to that's how I existed. You know, I woke up in the morning and I'd grab a cup of coffee and it'd be half coffee, half Kahlua or half coffee and half vodka. And, you know, while I was still working, that's what I that's what I had for breakfast. And I went to work like that. And I went to the pub at lunch and I, you know, I used to joke that drinking was my second job because I was at the pub so much, drinking so much and smoking so much that, yeah, it was a really good way to numb the pain because I, I worked in an environment where no one really cared what you were doing because it was so cutthroat and competitive that it was quite easy just to hide in amongst all of that. Um, and has it led you, um, I mean, don't mind me asking, has it led you to kind of, has the trauma led you to have any other like mental health disorders or anything, like anxiety or depression or anything like that? No, I've, I've had depression, um, but probably in the last 25 years, I've, you know, I've had my moments, you know, I'm a, like, a, I'm a, I'm, a, a very I guess I am a real person because I'm alive and my heart's beating but you know I'm someone who wears my heart on my sleeve and you know I'm, I'm happy to talk about life's experiences um, but that's something that I've learned um, so for a very long time it was you only really got what I presented to you and it was you know it was you know this happy-go-lucky extroverted person and you know maybe 15, 17 years ago, I realised that, you know, I did these personality tests and I realised that that wasn't me. It was, I was just faking it because that's, it. if people were laughing at me, then they weren't asking me anything about myself. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that there was that social anxiety, which was hidden by being an extrovert because, you know, if you're the party girl, everyone just wants to party with you. No one really, you know, wants yeah. to get any deeper than that. And developing like a, a kind of really elaborate persona to kind of protect what was going on, you know, inside, which I guess shows a lot of kind of inner resilience and strength. But I guess it must have been also exhausting. It, yeah, it was really exhausting. Yeah. And I, and I realised, you know, I wrote a book about my early life last year that I'd actually been doing that for a very long time and that every time something 
traumatic happened to me. I just piled another layer of, you know, happy and positive on top. Um, you know, like my, two of my closest girlfriends read my book and they were reading about this period in high school and they went, we, we didn't even know. Like, you just never let on anything bad was happening. And it was like, what could you have done? You know, it was, mm-hmm. you know, you're thinking I'm protecting them, but I was protecting me because I guess I kind of, if, if I confronted any of that, I'd have to do something about it. And I didn't know what to do about it. So it was easier just to pretend. Yeah. And it's almost like, um, I was saying to Mark the other day when we were chatting, it's almost like there's an M&M hiding behind the tears of a clown. It's like a mask you put on to kind of look like you're happy, but obviously deep down you're hurting, you're struggling. And obviously you put that front on because you don't want to pull your like baggage and stuff on other people, as to say. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but a feeling that others wouldn't understand. I guess that's part of it, and that isn't. Oh yeah, big time. Because yeah. you know, back when I was a kid, I mean, there's like in the seventies and eighties, there's just so much you didn't talk about because yeah. it was not polite and it was taboo, and you know, like you know, back in the eighties and nineties, domestic violence wasn't something that was recognized you know you you just as a woman you know well I I didn't actually don't even know how I would have told anybody because I wouldn't have known how to describe it and having grown up in a house with you know a single mum who was always looking for male affection and seeing violence and you know abuse I guess you just kind of like go, well, isn't that what a relationship is <laughs> until someone tells you that it's not? Um, so, yeah, that, that was, that's definitely, I totally agree with that, Joe. Yeah, it's almost like a normality. You get so used to something that becomes normality for you. And then when kind of told that it's not normal, you then, uh, I mean, it helps you realize. I mean, it happens, as you say. A lot of things don't get spoken about and obviously I, I'm I was born in the 90s so I don't know what it was like in the 80s and the 70s but it's the same with a lot of mental health it's kind of pushed to one side because people don't understand it and a lot of people don't know how to tell people about it and I wanted to ask you um when we were conversing and stuff about organizing you to be on the episode you mentioned you wrote a book of memoirs called um how to eat a shit sandwich and is it stay smiling keep smiling keep smiling that's one sorry yeah <laughs> I think you can tell us a little bit about that yeah cool um oh, well look look COVID was has been good for a lot of things and bad for a lot of things and for me it gave me that opportunity to stop and you know I was I'm a writer like that's my profession but I'd never written anything personal you know I've written business stuff and media stuff and stuff about other people but I'd never really written about myself and when I kept going one day I'm going to write a book and I kept going what am I going to write a book about like I just I've got no idea what to write about and then I thought I've had a pretty interesting life you know that that and, and and I turned 50 last year so I was thinking about the different quarters of your life 
and the things that you learn through each of those quarters. So I went that that time from you know being born to 25 was the most significant in my life. I mean, not downplaying the last 25 years, but in terms of the 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 pain and the suffering and the chaos and the the you know all of the the craziness that went on. And I went, I've actually feel like I've become a pretty good person. You know, I'm I'm confident, I'm comfortable with who I am. You know, I love to have a joke. I'm great at what I do. You know, I've got a great family. Um, life's pretty good. Who would have ever thought that that girl that I used to be would be this person? So I started writing about myself. So it's about the time that I first remember as a kid. So I'm three and my father taking my mum and my little sister and dumping us at this scungy flat and leaving us there and driving away and we never saw him again. And I just, I remember the, the, the pain and the suffering my mum went through, the anger, and it just rolled on from there and the book's written in the voice of the kid that I am at the time. So, um, I, you know, it goes from three to seven to ten to starting high school to my first boyfriend to, you know, the, the boy that I lived with for five years who, you know, was a domestic violence relationship to moving to Sydney to pursue my dream job as a journalist and, and all the things that happened there and me breaking down and returning home to Brisbane to go, okay, what do I do with my life now? So, yeah, it's, but it's written with a lot of humour. I, I like that, hence the title, Keep Smiling. Um, I really feel like humour's got me through a lot, if not being self-deprecating or finding the, the light in the dark um, or immersing in stand-up comedy or something like that to laugh at, you know, lifts your spirits and makes you feel better so I've written the book it's really serious some of it's really heavy um, my sister said to me there's one chapter and she said I don't think I can ever look at you at the same way again <laughs> so she was like going I'm shocked she said I didn't know you did all of those things so yeah it's a bit of a wild ride where can uh, our listeners buy it they can go online to annettdenshin.com and there's a little link to PayPal and I'll get an email. That's as high tech as I get at the moment, um, but it'll be up on Amazon in probably about a month. Um, okay. I'm just doing some edits and just putting it up online. So I, I launched it on May and um, yeah, I haven't even got to that stage yet. Oh, fair enough. Well, when it um, comes through and stuff, we'll share it on our socials and encourage our listeners to go and purchase it. I'm sure a lot of people will find it to be a good read. Um, you mentioned yeah, I hope your, so. You mentioned your friends and family um, have been quite supportive. So um, do you feel having a good support network is kind of beneficial? Do you feel like you can kind of open up and talk to them a bit more now about the trauma and your mental health? Um. Yeah, but it's funny. We haven't actually really talked about it. Like I've talked about it a lot with my husband. Um, but it's it's interesting. Two of my best friends who I'm still very good friends with now, still best friends with, we've been friends since we were like 10 and 13. 
um, they feature a lot in the early part of my book and we haven't actually talked about it yet. Um, I've talked about it with my sister who's obviously in it because she's been through a lot of the same things as I have. But overwhelmingly, there's been so much acceptance because when you write a book that's as raw as what I have, you have a little bit of writer's remorse where you go, should I really have put that chapter in? Like, it doesn't make me look too good. But I thought if I was going to write a memoir, it was going to be warts and all. I wasn't going to, like, make myself out to be the victim. You know, there's lots of bad shit that I did and there's lots of terrible choices that I made with my life that, you know, I share. And it's it, here it is, people. You know, love me or like me. Um, I've laid my heart on on a plate for you. So, you know, do with it what you will. But no, no one's said anything horrible to my face. So that's got to be all right. I mean, I think it's you know that kind of openness is going to be really, really helpful to the readers. I mean, re people that read your book that have experienced their own trauma and you know, traumas everywhere, isn't it? Really, are going to be really helped by that openness. I would imagine. I hope so, because and that's one of the reasons that I wrote it, because as a writer working with people, I'm always telling them to tell their story. And, you know, but I want it to go deeper than that, because, you know, like I work in business and telling your story in business is about, you know, how your product came to life or, you know, how you started your business. And I thought, I, I want to know people on a deeper level because, you know, we're so connected now, but we're so disconnected that, you know, we live in a world of influences where it's all, you know, pouty fish face and, you know, everything suppose. And it's like, where, how did we get here? Like when you send a story to the media and it's a happy, good news story, they don't run it, but they run some stupid story about someone's TikTok video so I want people to read this and go, you know what, it's okay to open up. It's okay to talk about rape and sexual abuse and domestic violence and drug taking and drinking and, you know, just all of those things that we go, oh, I'm ashamed of this. I can't tell people because, you know, so much happens in our lives that, you know, I take responsibility for but there's so much that happened that I had no control over and I did the best that I could. And I think that most people do the best that they can. And we're just too hard on ourselves, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. There's not enough self-compassion. I think people are too hard on themselves. I think that's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big statement, but I, I think it's generally true. It's kind of what I find a lot, really. Self-compassion is really important. And it's something that really we're not taught. We're not taught, we're taught to, you know, look at other people, make comparisons and do this and seek status. And, but we're ne never really taught to self-care and look after ourselves and pat ourselves on the back when we've done well and self-soothe. None of that really we're taught. And all that is essential, isn't it? It's, it's crazy, isn't it, that yeah. we can be these wonderful social creatures that, you know, get great joy out of music and art and comedy and you know, talking to each other and yet, you know, we'll hang up off a call and go, oh, I'm stupid for saying that instead of just going, yeah. oh, well, I said that, you know, oh, hopefully they get a laugh out of it. 
um, or you just, this, yeah, this, you, I think you're right that self-compassion is, I don't think anyone ever taught me. I had to learn it. It took me a bloody long time to learn. Yeah. And I'd hope that if someone read my book and they're in their 20s, that they go, okay, I need to talk to somebody. I need to reach out. I need help. Yeah. I need to get this off my chest because it's, it's, it is like a wound, isn't it? It's just open and it's festery. You definitely see as well with mental health and you open up about these sort of things that you see who the real people are in your life, like the people that are going to be there for you and support you. That's something I found when I was talking about mental health and when I went through the trauma I did when I had, um, I've mentioned in previous episodes, I had trauma and stuff. I broke up with my partner and then I felt really suicidal, spent a few nights in a mental health um, facility. Um and all the trauma afterwards was <laughs> it definitely makes you grow as a person. But also, when when you go through that sort of stuff, you see who your real friends are and your real family, the people that are there for you the most. And that's definitely something I've I've noticed from stuff I went through. And I did a self esteem workshop, um, and I noticed so many things about myself, like the stuff that I kind of just brushed aside because I wanted friendships and didn't value myself really that highly um and stuff like letting my friends um what I would just push aside as banter probably wouldn't other people probably want to say banter but um just being bully or rude to someone for no reason whatsoever and it kind of made me see who my real friends were um you have you found that with your book and stuff you kind of seen who the real people are in your life yeah, absolutely. And I, I think through any major event that I've had in my life, you know, the, the people that are still there who accept you for who you are and, and those that don't, uh, uh, lucky for me, like I've, I've not been bullied for a long time. I've experienced bullying through school and I don't think anybody's um, game enough to bully me now because... I push back. Um, you know, that, that's something that bullying taught me is like, no, I'm, I feel good enough about myself that that's not acceptable. But yeah, I guess like I, I, I didn't expect a lot of support from my extended family um, because of, you know, the earlier chapters where I talk about my mum and my grandparents. And, you know, I told my family about this chapter about my grandfather and the way that he treated my sister and I and it's just I, I got kicked out of the family Facebook group and it's like wow I didn't actually do anything you know yeah. I was the victim here um, but like I guess that to me that says more about them than it does about me I, I think it's made me more compassionate for other people like I'd like to think that someone could sit down and tell me the most horrible thing that they've ever done and I would be able to empathise with them and, and, and hold them compassionately. I may not agree with what they've done, but I, th I think that's the worst thing about human beings is that judgement because they don't understand or they can't empathise or they can't experience it. So I guess now it's easy for people to fall away since... 
you know, like COVID hasn't helped with friendships, has it? Because, you know, we can't get together and, and socialise. And it's just not the same on Facebook. So I guess there's probably people that, you know, I'll think about in a few months and go, oh, I haven't seen any from, from them for a while and they've unfriended me. And it's like, well, well, there's, there's nothing I can do about it. So um, I know the people who love me. I know the people who support me. I know the people who care about me no matter what. And if that's just a handful, then that's a pretty valuable handful to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reach men, to, sorry, sorry Joe, go ahead. No, go ahead, yeah, Joe. Mental health kind of does build character. It kind of grows you as a person. And going through trauma obviously does kind of, some a lot of the time, strengthen your character. And I think, especially with things like COVID, I think the people that have been most prepared for stuff like COVID are the people that go through mental health sometimes. Like, I think, because we expect a lot of the time people expect the worst anyway when you've got mental health, we're kind of prepared for it. And it's not, some people it's not really affected if you have got mental health because you expect it and you're used to those sort of things like being isolated, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I found, I mean, like I'm in Queensland, so I really can't talk about lockdowns because ours have been far, few and far between. But I, like I've spent so much of my time alone, uh, particularly in my early life that, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy with my own company now, my own thoughts. I didn't always used to be. And, you know, we've talked about that I use drugs and alcohol, so I didn't have to think, but. Now that I'm a healthy human, it's like, yeah, I, th I think I'm pretty tough. You know, it's, it's why I wrote a book of how to eat a shit sandwich. Like, how do you, how do you keep taking that, your horribleness in life, but come out the other side and still look at the world and go, you know what? There's some pretty cool things in this world. I'm, I'm going to focus on that because there's nothing I can do about the other stuff. And that, that really helps when I do feel lonely and it's like, you know, cause I still often feel like people don't really understand me because I don't think you can go through the life that I've lived and always be relatable to people. I think there's still an element of, oh, there's this little facade, not facade, this wall that I keep up. Um, but, you know, got my writing, got my family I've got my best friends and they keep me happy but I, I wanted to just pick up or maybe I wanted to ask you a couple of things I'm interested to know have you have you ever been in kind of therapy or what, what's your what's your what's been your relation with you know kind of caregivers in the medical profession therapists I when I went through that very dark period and I hid myself away for six months. Um, my friend who came and dragged me, didn't really drag me out of the house, but encouraged me to leave the house. Um, he took me to a psychologist and I went and saw him for quite a few months every week um, to talk. And it was, it was actually, it was life-changing because, you know, it, he, he, he didn't try to fix me. He just gave me space to talk and space for me to, to acknowledge that there was nothing wrong with me. 
that I was just responding to the trauma that had been in my life, it, albeit it was extreme. But yeah, he never made me feel like I was a nutcase or or that that I was damaged. And he gave me hope that I could I could turn my life around. And and he did. He, he gave me things that I'd have to do every week. And one of those was walking every day. And I just became this mad king walker. I just like walk everywhere. And it made me feel really good because you know I wasn't sitting in a room in a cloud of smoke <laughs> when not being able to breathe and the you know the curtains closed <clears throat> um, and then I, th I just I did a lot of reading um, you know just about mental well maybe not mental health but depression you know positive thinking um, you know positive stories about you know attitude and mindset and they they helped too because I was able to have the time to absorb that so I haven't haven't really had a lot of counseling I've just done it through my own education going how can I be a healthier me and you know and it, and it worked which I'm surprised I've saved myself a lot of money yeah <laughs> counseling fees yeah. uh, but but still you know there's people that I talk to when I yeah. you know I've got mentors that I could go and say oh I'm having a hard time you know this is getting me down this is getting me down so I reach out to people now whereas I never did when I was younger mm. I actually say you know oh you know get it out you know but they say better out than in and then there's an interesting what you say about about therapy. You know, I mean, therapists do this and do that, and you know, everyone, lots of therapists have different modalities and bring different things. But but you know, I think for a lot a lot of people, just telling their story really and having someone understand, hear, see them, listen, not judge. I think just that alone can be so. I mean, I'm wanting to say, you know, curative. That's probably not the right word, but it's just really, really helpful, I think, for people to just tell their story. Because I think people don't get the chance to tell their story. Other people, you know, are not always available to listen. Other people don't understand, you know. So I think it is tremendously therapeutic. And I, I wanted to ask you about your agency, if that's okay. Um, I've really read about your agency. And could you maybe tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. So the Audacious Agency is a dynamic duo of me and my business partner, Lauren Clement, and we help build people's profiles. Um, we help them tell their stories, mostly for people in business. So, you know, how we're able to connect what they do and why they do it and how it with, you know, podcast programs, media articles uh, you know Facebook so people get to know them and like them and trust them and trust them enough to hand over their money for whatever it is that they're in business selling or doing um, so yeah it's, it's really incredibly um, honoring what we, what we do because we we have to take people who quite often, don't have that self-care or self-compassion that you mentioned before, Mark, and they're hard on themselves and they haven't done enough and they're not good enough. And we have to take them from that place and 
I can fuse them with enough self-belief by listening to their story. We listen to their story. And then we come back to them and say, here's all the things that you can do with your story. And this will help people take notice of you, which, yeah, actually when I explain like that's pretty cool. That's really empowering. And it's, you know, it's seen some, like I talked to a client today, you know, she's, uh, her name's Sonia and she's an accountant. It sounds like going to an AM and he's, hi, I'm, and I, you know, I'm an accountant. Um, and, you know, 12 months ago when I started working with her, she was reluctant to blog or be on video or, you know, talk about what she did. And she made this really big decision to invest in building her profile. And now she's like, she's writing like she's never written before. And, you know, the quality of her stories is, you know, engaging and helpful and, and her confidence in her abilities. Like she knew she was a great accountant but her confidence in how she makes a difference in people's lives is quite incredible. And to see her face talking about it, it's like, wow, I had something to do with that. That's really cool. And, and you know, we, we talk a lot about kind of post-traumatic growth on the show and, and suffering, I guess, accelerating people's personal personal growth i mean obviously nobody wants to suffer but suffering often can accelerate personal growth you know getting through difficult experiences and i get that i get the sense with the book and with the agency and you know just from talking to you today and what you said about where your life is now that you know things are really really good for you that there's been a lot of that and with the agency i guess there's a sense of you're kind of, kind of transmuting some of your own suffering to help others which I think is really beautiful actually it yeah. must be wonderful for you it is thank you I, yeah. I never thought about it like that and, I, and I, I never really you know people say why did you become a writer it's like well because I was curious but you know the, the way that you just described it Mark it is it is transformative that I can feed my self-belief into other people and encourage them to grow and heal through telling their story. And, you know, sometimes it's like pulling teeth. I'm sure, you know, you, you work in the space trying to get people to open up and talk and, and just seeing them, it's like they go, oh, you know, just that, wow, I've got something to say. You know, and, and I'm like, actually I was watching The Voice tonight and Keith Urban said about this singer, and he goes, you really got to connect more with the song and the feeling behind it. You're holding things back. And he said, someone once said to me that when I had writer's block and I couldn't get anything out, that those people who get stuck for words or find it hard to share, it's they've got so much there that they want to say that it's just jammed. It just takes for someone to uncork them, for them to just, share and, and I guess that's what I help people do I'm caught that you know self-doubt and you know all those other things that are stopping them from talking and going it's it's okay you know share I'm, I'm here to listen awesome well thank you for um sharing your story I'm glad you, you've had personal growth and that you're going well now I'm sure a lot of our listeners will benefit from 
listening to this episode and hearing your story maybe encourage them to open up which is what we aim to do with every episode we do record um and we'll share your book and any links you might have just email me after the episode um i just want to say thank you again um honestly it probably takes a lot to kind of especially with stuff you've been through to share with others and um yeah <laughs> thank, yeah, you, no, thank you yeah and just want to say the same thing really thanks so much for coming on and that i mean it, it you know i often say this on the show but you know what an inspiring story um you know what's happened to where you are now but yeah thank you so much for sharing it thank you thank you joe and mark for yeah. putting on a show like this it was it's funny as i was talking there were bits that i could feel getting caught in my throat there's a big difference between writing it out and sharing it with yeah. two people i've only just met like you know an hour ago but yeah what a what a great experience you know what a beautiful platform you've created for people to to share their stories thank you so thank you for joining us um uh next episode we will be recording on sunday as we reach the end towards the end of season one um we will be covering schizophrenia um and then the last episode we'll be doing a Q&A which will be hosted by a previous host um Jordan Harbison and so thank you to Mark for helping co-host again um, no and we'll see you next week if you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes please contact your local or country's helpline you'll find them by going to google and typing in helpline um they have Samaritans, Suicide Helpline, but remember that you're not alone, as the title of the podcast says. Um, there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone, but there's always someone there for you to talk to, be it a friend, a family member, a stranger, a psychotherapist or a doctor. There's someone to talk to. I've been in that position before, and talking to someone really does help. It's okay to not be okay. And I will see you in the next episode.